Speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and uh, pray for our time today. Um, Lord, we uh, love you and we trust you. Um, Lord, please use me today. Um, speak through me. And uh, as we talk about this final beatitude, as we um, teach uh, the words of Jesus, we uh, reiterate Jesus' teachings, Lord. Um, we just take them to heart and uh, we put our hearts in a posture where we can receive that and uh, impact us uh, for more than just a little bit of time on Sunday for as we walk out these doors um, into the world. And it's uh, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so today we are wrapping up a series on the Beatitudes. And this is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Maybe something you're familiar with, may not, but um, it's a pretty famous uh, sermon, maybe one of Jesus' most famous. Just It's very uh, studied, dissected, and all that stuff by biblical scholars and others. Um, and we've been going through the Beatitudes week by week, one by one, and today we're actually kind of getting a twofer on our uh, Beatitudes. We're going to be in three verses, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Let's go ahead, um, let me give you a quick outline of what I'm going to talk about today, and then we'll read 1 through 12. I'll reread uh 12, 10 through 12, which are going to be our verses for today. So if you're looking at your Bible, one of the first words you're going to see that may jump out at you, kind of a buzzword, is the word persecute. And we're going to talk about that first. Uh, then we're going to go into a, a key transition that Jesus makes in his preaching style in these verses. It really changes the tone um, as he wraps up the Beatitudes We're also going to talk about what I'm going to call a tension between the now and the eternal, our lives here on earth and eternity. There's some implications for that um, in this beatitude. And finally, we're going to look at kind of four ways that we might be able to apply this beatitude to our lives. Let's go ahead and jump in and read Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and then we'll go back for our three verses for today. Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verses 10 through 12, one more time. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So like I mentioned in my intro, the buzzword is persecute. And I don't know 
how you guys see that, but when I was preparing for this text, when I was reading it, I just immediately hit the brakes, screeched to a halt. That is a buzz word. It gets a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions going inside of me and maybe inside of you as well. I'm a history guy. I was a history major um, in college. And so I think of all the persecution that we have undergone or witnessed in history. Just in less than the last hundred years, we've seen just atrocious persecution uh, really worldwide. Lots of examples from World War II, the Holocaust, uh, Japanese and Japanese Americans being uh, imprisoned in this country. Uh, we think of civil wars and genocides all over the world, especially the continent of Africa. Uh, people in the Balkan regions of Europe have gone, undergone all kinds of persecution. Um, the country of China, uh, when they transitioned to communism, the cultural revolution pretty much wiped out all religion or anything that wasn't communism. Just persecution uh, to great, great extents. But we can't just leave it there in the past, right? We see persecution today also. Uh, we think of our brothers and sisters in uh, China or Asia or anywhere where you have to worship in secret. Uh, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria who are just undergoing all kinds of persecution. But we also can't leave persecution abroad. This text applies to us today, sitting here in Houston, worshiping freely uh, in our relative safety and comfort, this text does apply to us. The question that I'm going to kind of leave hanging out there that we'll come back to towards the end is how? How do we as Americans and just in all of our comfort, and it's not just Americans, but it's just the circumstance that we live in, we can worship freely. So how does persecution for righteousness' sake, apply to us. All we really need to do is follow this text and see what Jesus is going to do as he makes his transition. It's where I get kind of the title for my talk today, Let's Make It Personal, because Jesus is about to make it really personal for those who are listening to him live and for right now, for us. Am I getting credited for that? Yes. I'm going to give other people credit throughout this sermon, so I might as well get a little bit. Um, Jesus makes an astounding transition with a big-time impact for his audience then, for us now, and for us in eternity. And we see that when we contrast verse 10 and verse 11. They're really saying the same thing. Jesus is kind of restating the beatitude and making it personal. In verse 10, Jesus says, "'Blessed are those who are persecuted.'" He's going to make it personal for us. In verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. But Jesus doesn't stop there with making it personal. He makes it personal for himself also. In verse 10, he says, uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he's going to redefine that for us in verse 11 when he says, on my account. Blessed are you when others persecute you on my account. It's a kind of a subtle transition, but it's really, really impactful because those three words, on my account, really summarize 
the gospel. And what Jesus is doing here, he's kind of self-prophesying. He's telling uh, the people listening live, hey, I'm going to be persecuted. And there's going to be a lot that goes on my account. And we call that the gospel. If Sundays are good for anything, they should be for reminding people of the gospel because it's just the truth that we'll get out in the parking lot, get in our car, and we'll get distracted from what we just heard, okay? So, so let me offer this to you now. I'm going to give you kind of the gospel in my words, um, and we're going to see how that impacts this beatitude uh, moving forward. So the gospel. We've always been separated from God because of our sin. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, who was 100% man, 100% God, with a mission to save us, to reconcile us to God, our creator. His death atoned for our sins. It went all on his account. And he was a victim of persecution mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He was accused for crimes he didn't commit. He was sentenced to death. A persecuting, oppressive Roman government carried out that sentence. And he was nailed to a cross, and he died. And as he was hanging on that cross, he asked God to forgive all the people who put him there amidst the persecution. And when he died, he paid for our sins, but he didn't uh, just die. He was buried in a tomb and then he was resurrected to be with the Father in heaven, to sit at his right hand. All our sin went on his account. His resurrection paved our way for our eternity in heaven if we accept that gift of salvation, if we accept that gift that Christ put it all on his account. The impact of the gospel and the impact of this beatitude is both now for our lives and eternal. Really, a lot of the Beatitudes here have that um, dual impact of right now for our lives and what it means for eternity in heaven. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit, the now and the eternal. <clears throat> in verse 10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you flip through the book of Matthew, you'll see 31 times where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, that he's bringing the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is who the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven with him, and it still remains here today. And it's awesome. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus brought the kingdom with him, and it remains here today. And really, the kingdom of heaven are Christians, those who call on Christ as their Lord and Savior. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his studies in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that verse 10, which, which we just read, is part of the description of the Christian. Goes along with the rest of the Beatitudes. Quite as much as being peacemakers, which we talked about last week, quite as much as being merciful. So this verse 10, being persecuted is just as much a description of a Christian as being a peacemaker or being merciful. 
that impacts our lives now, to know that this is describing us. This is describing a Christian. In verse 12, we see that Jesus also tells us how this impact is not just eternal, but also, or I'm sorry, not just now, but is also eternal. When he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. This is not an open door to talk about works-based salvation. And that's kind of a theological term, but just remember the gospel. It all went on Jesus' account. You don't do anything to earn your salvation. However, the now matters and how we live matters. The Beatitudes are describing the Christian life and so is this blessed are the persecuted Beatitude. It matters not just for now, but also for eternity. Jesus says it right here, for great is your reward in heaven. Let's look at how we can apply this beatitude to our lives because it really is something that we may feel disconnected on. I know I do sometimes because I just don't, I don't feel persecuted sometimes. I feel safe. I feel comfortable and I, I kind of like that. But we're going to see that Jesus calls us to something different than that. The first way um, that I think we can see how maybe this applies to us is a, a personal story um, or your testimony. Some people call it your testimony. It's, it's your story, what you have endured in your life and how Jesus um, has been with you to conquer that. Or maybe you're still overcoming stuff. Whatever it is, I'm going to offer you my own personal story of a time that I was persecuted for my faith. And uh, it's kind of a good one. All right. All uh, right. I think it is. It's fun. Here's the thing, though, is when I thought of this story this uh, week as I was preparing, I realized that I just kind of blew it off at the time. I was just like, well, I don't know. Boys will be boys. Whatever. Like, someone didn't like what I liked. Big deal. But as I look back on it, um, it really was an instance where I was persecuted for my faith, and I'll just, I'll just go into it. So a little bit quickly about me. I was baptized when I was 15, but I really saw it just as fire insurance. What I mean by that is uh, there was a lot of fun things to do in high school and college, so I decided I could do those and be a Christian, and it was okay. I wasn't going to hell. I had uh, Jesus um, in my heart, so I could do whatever I wanted. Then come uh, my second year of grad school, I really started to reinvestigate who Christ was uh, in my life, and I realized that I was being a fraud all these years, but I recommitted and I said, all right, Jesus, this is really who you are and this is what it's all about. I'll follow you. And my life like really, really changed. What happens a lot of times in those circumstances is your surroundings and situations and people you know and interact with, they stay the same while you're changing. And that can kind of set the environment for some clashes, some persecution. Um, John Stott describes or defines persecution like this. Persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. So I was having some of that in my life. Some value systems were clashing. Uh, I was in my young 20s and people, my friends, are getting married to left and right. I'm running a tux like every other month, right, to go to these weddings. And uh, one of my good friends was getting married and along with 
uh, weddings come bachelor parties. So there was a bachelor party in Austin. I knew I was going to go, but I knew there were going to be some things on the itinerary that I could not participate in. I had changed my heart. My convictions were strong, and I just knew I couldn't participate in some of the activities. And the biggest one was going to a strip club. And so I told the guys before, hey, you can go. I'm not going. I just can't do it. So I get to the party, and as I walk in the door, pretty much everyone had arrived. I had worked late that day, and as I walked in the door, I was met with persecution. One of the attendees of this bachelor party basically just met me right there face-to-face and said, hey, we're all here for the bachelor. You're going to do what we're going to do, and you're going to like it, and you're going to have fun. I know you've found religion, but you're going to do everything we do. You're going to go along with it because we're here for him. What, uh, what makes this somewhat comedic is he was holding, at the time, a bottle of vodka that is shaped like an AK-47. <laughs> if you were curious if those things are made, they are made and people actually buy them. And uh, anyway, the, um, you know, I blew it off at the time. I was just like, okay. I, I mean, I knew this guy. I had grown up with him, okay? The fact that he was a little abrasive towards me didn't surprise me, but I was taken aback by, wow, this guy really doesn't agree with what I agree with. So the night goes on, bachelor party's in Austin, we go to 6th Street. For some reason, there, we needed a limo to get there and get around. And so as 6th Street is wrapping up, I'm just kind of hanging in the back. I let everybody get in the limo, and then I walk around and get in the front passenger seat with the driver. He said, hey, I know where we're headed next. I'm not going, so I'm just going to hang out up here with you. He said, fine. So we get there, and everybody files out. And would you believe it? No one realized that I wasn't there, right? That's how much fun everybody was having. So I just stayed in the pasture seat. Everybody filed in, and then a knock on the passenger side window. It was one of my friends. It was the only guy in the, among the bachelor party that was married. And he said, hey, are you really not going in? I said, I'm really not. He said, all right, well, I don't think I can go in. I just don't feel right. I feel like I'm dishonoring my wife if I do it. I said, all right. So we sat in the back of this limo while in the parking lot of a uh, strip club, and I shared my faith with one of my good friends. The opening for verse 12 is rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution. Why? You're going to have chances to share your faith with people in the parking lot of a strip club or wherever it is. One of the commentaries I read um, was commentating on persecution itself and said, these verses neither encourage seeking persecution nor permit retreating from it, sulking, or retaliation. And I think my persecution story fits into that realm But what's really important in the face of persecution, and if you don't have a story like that, that's fine. Whatever your story is, wherever you witness persecution, 
What's really important about it is your response. Rejoice and be glad is what Jesus says, how we are to respond. One of my favorite parts about Scripture is the consistency of it. It really reflects the character of God, that our God, the God that we serve, the one true God, is consistent. Let's look at some cross-references for this idea that we would rejoice and be glad amongst persecution, amongst suffering. First place we're going to go is to Acts 5, verses 40 through 42. Just quick background. Um, The disciples are on their own now, and they are spreading the gospel um, throughout the regions, throughout the world, and they come up against some persecution. So we pick up in verse uh, verse 40. And when they were... Um, And when they had called the apostles, this is the um, Sanhedrin, Uh, when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus went on doing their thing, even though they had been beaten and told not to do it. Uh, Romans 5, verses 2 and 3. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing, Through him, uh, meaning Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses uh, 8 through 10. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And then finally, uh, James, uh, chap- uh, yeah, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. James is a smart guy. He just leads with this principle, basically. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The response is really important because, I guess, the, the hardest part about this message is that the precedent has already been set. We, as Christians, following Christ, we will be persecuted. The precedent has already been set. They set the pre- Jesus sets the precedent in his final words of verse 12, after he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Old Testament prophets were 
in many ways, the mouthpiece of God. And so they had to deliver a lot of news that people did not want to hear. They had to say a lot of hard things, and they were persecuted for it, persecuted by the masses, persecuted by the kings um, that they, uh, I guess, just the kings that were ruling during that time, uh, by the priests and other holy people, they were persecuted for what they had to say, but God put it on their heart to say it. That's the precedent set for uh, the, the disciples who are listening to this live. Our uh, precedent is set by both the Old Testament prophets and the disciples. I mean, we just read there's countless uh, points in Acts where people are persecuted for spreading the name of Jesus. And the 2,000 years from when Jesus died to now, we've got examples after example of people being persecuted for spreading the name of Jesus. Like I said, it's not the easiest thing to say, but the truth is that to not be persecuted is abnormal. If you're a Christian, to not be persecuted is abnormal. One of the things that, if we, if we break down, I said uh, spreading the name of Jesus. Well, what is that? Okay, that is people to people. That's meeting people. That's interacting with people and telling them and living out your faith. It's unfortunate that persecution is also people to people. I mean, we've seen persecution on grand scales where nations are persecuting a people but it's really person to person when you really break it down. And it's sad and it's unfortunate. But it's exactly what Jesus calls us to. Um, that people-to-people interaction, those relationships, uh, you may have heard this word. This is how I think we can summarize that. It's discipleship. We get this mission to be sent out for people to spread the gospel um, and enter into discipleship in the Great Commission, which is the end of Matthew, chapter 28, verses uh, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, uh, sorry, let me back up. Jesus uh, has returned to earth. He's ascended with the Father. He's come back. And at one of these times he comes back, He delivers the Great Commission and says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now therefore, I'm sorry, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I included um, verse 18, because uh, it, it really precedes the Great Commission. Some people call it the Great Authority, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember the gospel that I shared with you? He said, it's all on my account. Thus, all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. The There's a lot of ways to define discipleship. Some people call it um, lifestyle evangelism. Some people call it uh, making friends. There's all kinds of ways to define discipleship. But uh, a guy who knew a lot about discipleship 
knew a lot about suffering and persecution, was a um, German Christian in World War II during that time. He was persecuted for his faith. You may have heard of him. Um, he's probably, I don't know, I guess I'd say like the most famous 20th century martyr for the Christian faith. It is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his book, Discipleship, he wrote the following. Suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. Maybe said another way, persecution then is the badge of true discipleship. He continues to say, following Christ means passio passiva, suffering because we have to suffer. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. Christ is our example of suffering as he was persecuted and died for our sins. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is no surprise that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. I know it's hard for me to say it. I know it may be hard for you to hear, but I've got to say it again. Persecution for the Christian is what's normal. The safety and comfort that a lot of us currently live in, including myself, is abnormal. Let's return to my question that I posed to you of how then does this scripture apply to us and our comfort and our relative safety and our freedom of religion. Well, we know that persecution doesn't escape us just because we live in this country. I shared a story where I was persecuted by people close to me in a setting that I thought was going to be safe. Uh, We know the precedent is set. We know that Jesus expects it enough for us, his followers, that he tells us how we should respond, rejoice, be glad, and We know that despite persecution, Jesus is still going to call us to disciple others, to enter into relationships. As Bonhoeffer says, that discipleship is true, true discipleship is suffering. So I'm going to leave us with some questions as we may need to ask ourselves still, how how does this apply to me? I'm still not seeing where this is adding up. And then we're going to enter into a time of uh, corporate prayer. And if you feel so led, please pray out loud. If you are more comfortable praying silently, that is fine as well. But let me offer this as just kind of a guide of where we may want to go in light of this message. Um, Some questions. Am I seeking out discipleship relationships? And the people that I already know, I interact with, am I looking for chances to enter into discipleship. Am I being discipled? That's a good place to start. Uh, Am I asking God for these people in my life that I can disciple, that I can share my faith with, that I can grow with in my relationship with the Lord? Am I staying in my comfort zone too much, too often? Am I expecting persecution? And Lord, will I respond with rejoicing and gladness when the persecution comes?
like I said, guys, I get it. I don't feel persecuted a lot. So I wonder, and that's why I want to take this unknow, this uh, not knowing to God. But we have to take this scripture seriously that if we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, the kingdom of heaven is ours, that we should expect to be reviled and persecuted by others whose value systems don't meet up with ours. And in the face of it, we should rejoice and be glad because of our rewards in eternity. Because the precedent has already been set. Let me uh, open up this time of corporate prayer. And like I said, if you feel so led, pray out loud. And then we'll, um, Kurt will wrap us up and we'll go into uh, communion. Uh, Lord, we know that um, we know that we live in a dangerous world. We know that there's danger outside our door, um, and we know we know how to avoid it. We know our safe zones. We know our comforts. And Lord, I'm guilty of just staying in those because they feel good. And um, and I've got a family. I I want them safe. I want them comfortable. Lord, I also acknowledge that. You call us to something different than that. And uh, Lord, it can't just be our brothers and sisters abroad. Uh, We pray for them. We lift them up to you. We ask you to um, give them relief from pain. Lord, please um, comfort them in the midst of their suffering, their persecution. And God, show us where we can step out of our comfort zone here in our own backyard. Not that we would chase after persecution recklessly, but Lord, that we would just love you enough to spread your name and that we would rejoice, be glad if someone ends up not liking that message. So what, Lord? We love you, we trust you, and we love you enough to spread the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to talk about your gospel and the impact it has on our lives and for eternity. In Jesus' name.